0: Hello and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I'm Kate Fisher and I'm your host. I've written this podcast to give blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. It creates a space for recipients and the people who love them to tell their stories of survival. It documents the remarkable lives they go on to live, the contributions they make to their communities and the joy that they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one who saved the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you could become a part of this story. Milkshakes for Marley is the name of the lifeblood team of donors who were inspired to donate plasma and other blood products after hearing the story of our amazing five-year-old daughter Marley who has seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. For her, plasma infusion is both life-preserving and when she relapses, it is life-saving. Just a note here to remind listeners that this podcast documents recipient and their loved one's stories as they remember them. It is not intended to give medical advice in any way, and I am not a doctor. I am unable to fact-check the medical accuracy of the stories that we share, and that is not the focus of this podcast anyway. What I can be sure of is that without the generosity of blood donors, many of our guests and the people that they love would no longer be alive. On today's episode, we welcome Miracle Mama, Amy Perling. I have followed her on Insta through her page Raising James and Jack as she chronicles so honestly and so pragmatically what it is like to be the mother at the helm of a family with additional needs. Amy's son James was born prematurely at 30 weeks with a rare blood disorder called neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia. You may hear us refer to this as Nate during this episode. What that means is that James had inherited platelet antigens from his dad, Scott, which were recognised by Amy's body as foreign, and she made antibodies which crossed the placenta and consequently attacked James's platelets in utero. Platelets are a component of the blood that is essential for clotting. Nate is not a condition that is routinely screened for in pregnancy, but when James was born, he was extremely bruised and was found to have a very low platelet count. Which was labelled as life-threatening. But this is just the first chapter of the remarkable story of the way that Australian blood donors have saved and preserved the lives
1: of Amy's children. Okay, Amy, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. Can I just start by thanking you um, for the incredible way that you document and share the experience of being a carer and raising a family with additional needs? Um, sometimes I just feel like I'm looking into a mirror when I see your content and (laughs) it's so validating and so lovely so thank you so much for that authenticity Um, when you first became pregnant did you have any concerns about the health of either you or your babies and did you ever anticipate welcoming a 30-weeker in your introduction to motherhood being via a neonatal intensive care unit
2: Well, thank you for having me, firstly. I'm very excited to be here. I absolutely love what you're doing. I think it's such an amazing idea. So thank Thank you for having me. Um, Oh, absolutely not. I had no idea that this was going to be our journey. Um, Obviously, well, not obviously, but we had quite a bit of trouble falling pregnant. So it was quite, I was quite anxious from the start of our pregnancy anyway. We miscarried um, our first pregnancy as well. So there was always a bit of anxiety Yeah, um, surrounding, I guess, that um, and the health of our child, um, especially the first sort of trimester. But sort of once we got through that first trimester, I let myself breathe a little bit and relax. Like once we heard the heartbeat and all of that, um, I did find myself um, easing into the pregnancy and enjoying it a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. But then we did have a few hiccups throughout the pregnancy, so I guess it was never really a smooth pregnancy. But I never yeah. expected yeah, um, sure. it went it, it all of a sudden um, happened very quickly at thirty weeks. Um, no one was expecting that. So that was Mm -hmm. definitely unexpected. And especially the world that we were then thrown into, I knew nothing about it until I had experienced it myself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, you know, you have your baby shower and all those things that you imagine, especially if you've experienced infertility, um, Mm -hmm. hoping what that experience will be like. And it's, yeah we yeah. our first baby was not as early but a little bit early and you know we went through IVF to have our babies and all of those things so yeah. I understand so that you and get it yeah you don't yeah. expect you know those first days <laughs> Thomas was just in a special care nursery he wasn't in NICU but we had 10 days in there um And just having the eyes of everybody on you while you're adjusting to motherhood like that it's such a big shock to the system and
2: even you know the small things like not being able to hold your baby as soon as they're born like all this stuff that you know you dream of and you hope for Mm -hmm. um, the whole pregnancy you're longing for that moment and then it's so quickly wiped away from you and yeah it's um Mm. definitely a challenging time but Yeah. yeah absolutely
1: Um, so James needed some very specific platelets when he was born Um, I've recorded an introduction to this episode that explains a little bit about his condition but if you could just explain it from the way that it was explained to you Um, and also just to put a note in the episode as well that this is your recollection and experience of what it is this isn't a medically scientific effectually correct correct podcast it's about talking about people's experiences um, yeah. so he had um, the specific platelets that james needed were very very rare um, and they had a short shelf life and during this time he also had a small grade one brain bleed how aware were you at the time of how difficult it was to source this blood blood product that was ultimately keeping your tiny baby alive
2: at the time, I had no idea. So yeah. obviously when he was born, it was a big shock. It was very overwhelming. I remember the first day in the NICU, well, it was like the day after he was born that mm-hmm. an neonatologist came and he knelt down next to me and he explained, um the condition and he actually sat there with a piece of paper and a, drew diagrams and he right. sat there and explained it to me until like simply enough that I could understand because it is quite a complex condition that you know I've tried to explain it to people sometimes and it just goes straight over their heads which is understandable <laughs> I had to do a lot of research myself to get it but um
0: yeah
2: yes yeah, so I just I'm so grateful I guess for that doctor for actually taking the time to sit there knowing that I was just like what is going on and um, um, he sat there and he explained it to me so um And then he explained, after he'd explained all that, he told me that James's platelet level was 13,000 and it's meant to be over 400,000. So that shows how severe, um, how severely low his platelets were. And I guess, you know, once I heard that and the fact that, you know, then he was explaining to me that he could have internal bleeding, he could have a bleed on his brain, all these things were like, I guess that was what I was focusing on at the time was if Jack uh, James was going to be okay. Um, just getting through, you know, the next few, like the ultrasounds and things. I mm-hmm. I knew he needed the platelets, but that kind of wasn't, you know, I was more focusing on James and whether yeah. there was yeah. going to be any long-term effects from it. Yeah. Um, so at the time, no, I didn't really have any idea how rare these mm-hmm. platelets were. I remember the doctor said that there was nothing, you know, available in the state and that they had to call a donor in. I think it was from Sydney, call a donor in Sydney to go and um, roll up their sleeve and donate Mm -hmm. the platelets. Um, And they had them on the registry. They knew exactly who they needed. So they rang this person. They went and donated that same day and then they were shipped over on ice in a plane, I think, Mm -hmm. or flown over um, on ice. And it was given to James the next day. And that literally... could have saved his life well it would have saved his life so if he didn't have those platelets his levels would have just kept depleting um Mm -hmm. and his yeah his body would have attacked what was what was remaining of his platelets so yeah in the meantime before those platelets arrived they did give him iv immunoglobulin which is also Mm -hmm. a blood product just to stop his body from attacking the little platelets that were remaining Mm -hmm. um so again even that in that 21st 20, 24-hour period that also saved his life um yeah, until we wow. could get the platelets that he needed so yeah it was I guess not until like maybe six months later when I did my own research and I looked at looked at this condition and realized um how rare those platelets were and how specific they were and that you know mm. remembered that someone had actually been asked to donate them like I yeah until then I didn't understand and like the huge impact that person had on us yeah Yeah. it's incredible and that's you know
1: that's exactly why we're making this podcast and excuse me it's the idea of you know bridging that gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients and giving that a voice you know you know when you go and you donate blood plasma platelets or breast milk um that you're you know, it's a life-saving act that you're doing for another Australian, but to give those recipients a voice, I think, is just so powerful.
0: And to be able to hear
1: that story. That we've really seen come out of these stories is how blissfully unaware you are when you're a recipient or you have someone in your family that's a recipient, all of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that needs to happen. for that, you know, you just kind of assume that it's going to be there. We've interviewed a few people that have had, you know, Injuries that have required surgery that, you know, they don't seem particularly horrific. But had that blood product not been on hand yeah. to give them that blood product, a simple surgery then becomes a life threatening. You know, incidents. So, yeah, totally.
2: Um, I'm yeah. an ED nurse, so I um, I've yeah. seen the other side. Like, I've seen the traumas where we just do like mass transfusion packs, mm-hmm. and we just pump the blood in, and it's there and it's readily available so quickly. But then when yeah. it was, yeah, on the other side, I was like, wow, th- it's mm-hmm. not always the case. Like sometimes yeah. we do have to have very specific. Like that's one thing I didn't realize was that um, sometimes you do need you know someone with exactly the same type yeah. blood typing as Absolutely. you um, to to be able to even receive that product so yeah
1: yeah um so ed nurse blessing or a curse when you're mm. the mom at the helm of a traditional <laughs> needs family <laughs>
2: uh, i say a bit of both yeah um blessing in that you know you do understand a little bit more of what's going on so you don't need you know when Doctors talk a lot of jargon. I can kind of understand a lot more than my husband say would. Mm -hmm. Um, But also a curse in that they treat me like a nurse. So they know I'm a nurse, so they don't treat me like mum. So I kind Mm -hmm. of feel like I have to say, no, remember, in this situation, I'm just Jack's mum. You need to actually speak to me, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I'm not in my medical mind. Not at all. I want you to just explain it to me like a lay person. And and same with, um, you know, I kind of feel... I, I find it hard to advocate for Jack being like knowing how it is on the other side as well sure. I guess um yeah but yeah um and just remind yeah just reminding them that um I I don't want to sit there and count his breathing rate at home like no. if, if I'm if I'm worried about Jack at home it's I'm trusting my mum gut and I'm going to bring him in for that I'm not going to be looking mm. at his numbers and yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. So a bit of both I think especially in the NICU it was um yeah, it was almost a curse because I was looking at that machine yeah. way
1: too much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And my yeah. heart skipped a little beat for you then when you said the neonatologist came over and knelt down to talk to me. Mm. You don't want your top consultants kneeling down and stopping and talking. I mean, you do, you appreciate the yeah. explanation, yeah. but you know that there's something you know. really significantly wrong when yep. your head consultants come and stop and sit down. Um, yep. you'll hear in the first episode that we recorded, we talk about um when that happened with Marley when the head of the PQ came and pulled over a stool and sat down next to her bed and I was like no don't sit down I want you to come and I want you just to hurl some random orders and I want you to keep walking I don't want you to sit down next to me like this because I know that's a conversation that I'm just not wanting to have so um, totally true. we've yep. been very lucky that she's doing very well at the moment but yeah good it's amazing yeah. how Glad. you hear those stories and it just takes you straight back to that moment
2: yep <laughs> um yep. So the triggers
1: absolutely <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, during your pregnancy with your second child jack you knew that there was a high chance that you would experience the same or similar complications Um, and remarkably these were treated for you with the intravenous immunoglobulin infusion Um, we refer refer to it as IVIG with Marley's treatment Um, it's the same thing that she uses for her autoimmune encephalitis Um, can you tell me a bit about what the experience of that treatment was like for you
2: yeah so um, we knew from the get-go before we even felt pregnant that I would need these infusions um, Mm -hmm. purely because of how severe James had this disorder so I guess I'd wrapped my head around it a little bit. Um, but then when the when the time came, I was 19 weeks. So the infusion started at 19 weeks. I um it was, it was like, I can't even explain. It was way more intense than I I thought it would be, I guess. Um, so it was a weekly admission, like so it was weekly infusion Mm -hmm. and every week I had to be admitted to hospital. Mm -hmm. Um so I would be at the hospital for six hours each week. Um and you know, it's, it's a blood product. So there's always, you know, risks and stuff that yeah, come absolutely. with it. But I guess I was essentially just knowing that this would save my baby's life. Again, I mm. kind of just rolled with it. I didn't, I kind of was a, you know, again, I'm a nurse, so I kind of just this stuff, I see this stuff quite frequently, but when yeah. it's just you when it's you, um, yeah. you go, Oh, wow. This, is, <laughs> this yeah. is intense. Like having the nurses come in and triple check what they're doing and, you know, the whole time I had to have the baby monitored and every week they were looking at scanning my baby to check that he didn't have any bleeds on his brain. Like yeah. it's a lot like it's stuff that you can't, you know, and it just happens and you're there and it happens, you know, you go along with it. But again, now looking back at it, I go, you know, how um, fragile that situation was mm. um, and how those blood products actually, which we'll talk about, I'm assuming did end up working, um, and how it could have been a completely different story if we hadn't known or if we didn't have those, you know, products and infusions, um, mm. how it could just be a completely different story for yeah. us. So we're very, very lucky. Like, yeah. Very blessed.
1: Yeah. And it's a different situation too, you know, with your first child, it's so much about you and your partner and the experience that you're having. And then your whole world can turn to other, you know, that other child. You would have had James running around at home as well. How old was he at that time?
2: Yeah, so he would have been three yeah Yeah. um and yeah it is completely like I mean I I just sent him I can't I can't even remember yeah <laughs> I think he went to my mum's I think or Survival my mum or um Scott's mum yeah isn't it yeah. funny um I think he no, Scott's mum usually would take James on that day because he obviously wasn't in kindy or anything yes yeah, sure. um but he thought it was you know he thought that was great he was yeah. going off to grandma's <laughs> once a week um so we kind of did you know we protect we protected him a little bit from that as much yeah. as possible. But it is, it is um very tricky, like just those extra burden not burdens, he's not a burden, but extra hurdles you have to overcome yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah. or put in place to even make stuff like that happen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Extra challenges. Um, yeah. So Jack stayed put a little bit longer than James and was delivered via plan C section at 34 weeks. And that was to minimize the trauma on him, like for his birth as a baby um the early indications were that he might not have nate is that now nat- how you say it the n-a-i-t nat,
0: yeah nate, 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 nate yeah nate,
1: yep. so um the early indications were that he may not have nate like his brother when did you realize that something might not be right
2: yeah so his first platelet level they obviously admit, that was the first thing they checked was his platelet level when he oh. was born and that came back at I, from what i remember it was around 200 or 150 so it was actually it was still low. Mm-hmm. Um, but way better than, um, James. And we kind of at that stage, doc, I remember I was still in recovery and the doctor, my obstetrician walked past and my neonatologist was in with me. And they, he said, his levels are 150 and everyone just like, everyone honestly just breathed this sigh of relief. Yeah. Like it was almost like we just, Oh my gosh, yeah. this is how ha- this has worked. You know, we were all just so anxious about getting that result back anyway. Um, so we were still we were, even then we were like, well, it's not it's not perfect, it's not normal. So yeah. we did think that there was it was obviously playing a part um, mm-hmm. this condition. yeah, um, but we we were, you know hope we we were you know the treatment had worked essentially. It was better mm-hmm. than what James was born with, and the levels were higher. And then within the first 24 hours, his level started dropping quite dramatically so that's they were funny. checking his platelet levels every sort of I think four or six hours initially and um they were just trending very quickly down so I don't understand it uh, I don't expect anyone else to understand it but apparently when the baby comes out my antibodies are still circulating in his blood and they were attacking they were still attacking his platelets it's like an afterbirth effect they explained it to me as um, sure. so that's why his platelets dropped then significantly so yeah that's when um neonatologist rang me at that, that stage I was up on the ward obviously I just had a c-section I couldn't really be down there all the time so he rang yeah, me and course. he said look we um we need to give Jack a platelet transfusion so that's when I was wheeled back down and we signed the consent forms and we talked about what had happened um mm-hmm. and I remember I was so emotional obviously I think this was around day two yeah
1: um, of course and you've I just had got got major phone. surgery
2: yeah and like I was pumping uh, hear, hearing hearing yeah. babies you know crying next to me with their mums you know in the ward with them and here's me attached to a machine and my baby's yeah. downstairs and I get this phone call saying that his platelets because that was always my fear that you mm-hmm. know something would drastically drop and yeah anyway that happened and i just remember i was standing looking out the window at the hospital and i was just howling yeah and it was like now i look back it was probably a little bit dramatic but <laughs> it was just like <laughs> that one you know it, you know we were prepared this time so it was yeah. but you know you know what it's like absolutely and sometimes
1: being <laughs> unaware as well it makes that yeah. early survival stage a little bit easier yeah you know we've said that with marley that the first PICU admission that she had was so like her first early PICU so confronting uh, but we didn't yeah. understand it so you're just in yeah. shock and sometimes that's useful when it happened yeah. you know the second and third and fourth times we knew exactly what was happening and we knew what the stakes yeah. were and it just hits you that little bit differently
2: yeah you're too aware almost of yeah you know, like what could happen Yeah, yeah so anyway he then um luckily because we were prepared this time we had they had ordered platelets um in preparation so that that um Asked that another donor to obviously go and donate the pl- specific platelets we needed. And they had been shipped over ready for his delivery. So they were already here and they were, were in their three day shelf life. So mm-hmm. they decided let's just be, play it safe and just give him a huge transfusion. <laughs> so yeah. they gave him a really big one rather than breaking it, um, breaking the donor pack down. They just gave him a really big transfusion um, hoping that it would get him through uh, mm-hmm. the following days. So, yeah, he had that transfusion and they did ask someone to then again go and donate in case we needed a backup, but um, we didn't, thankfully. So he just needed that one, that one transfusion and that got him through. And essentially once, once he's flush, his body's flushed out all of my antibodies, um, yeah. the, the condition doesn't affect them ever again. So wow.
1: that's all he needed. Yeah, that's incredible yeah Um, so Jack does have some ongoing health challenges so I think I had always assumed that they were related to this experience but it sounds like it's something quite separate um what does a day look like in the day of Jack that's a great
2: question um yeah so from what we well from what we know there's like I said this is a rare platelet disorder so we don't really know if the complications are associated but it's very unlikely um so jack I'll, I'll say the life of him now so he's two and a half he's yeah. currently um fed by a peg so a feeding tube into his tummy mm-hmm. um he's got a severely uncoordinated swallow. Um, So when he swallows any liquid, so he's okay with food, he can eat food, but if he swallows any liquid, it goes the wrong way and it goes into his lungs and he gets really sick. So all of his fluid goes through his feeding tube. Um, And then he also has some other conditions. So he's got chronic lung damage now from constantly having chest infections and pneumonia. Um, He's immune deficient. So he is now getting weekly Um, Skig or subcut immunoglobulins so he's also now receiving (laughs) blood products again (laughs) weekly that's to boost his immune system because he's just constantly sadly unwell Um, but otherwise apart from that and a few other little um, ongoing issues he likes he's got mild speech delay um, Mm -hmm. and he's got a bit of medical trauma and things like that he's otherwise a typical Mm. two-year-old like I cannot stress that highly enough that this kid yeah. is like he is go yeah. go go busy uh, yeah. very strong-willed <laughs> um, yeah, and looking at him you wouldn't you wouldn't know yeah. but yeah that's that's I guess that's the thing about these invisible illnesses is you know you can look at Jack and he's just a very typical two-year-old but there is a lot underneath the surface yeah. that we do just to Absolutely. keep going every day yeah.
1: yeah
2: yeah
1: I don't even know how to word it but I mean we have a whole House full of children with invisible disabilities. Um, you know, all three of our kids have got a global de- developmental delay. Our two older boys um, are neurodiverse. Um, and marley is currently being investigated to see whether she is also on the autism spectrum but we're not sure whether some of her cognitive impact is due to the autoimmune encephalitis and the residual brain damage that she has from that um or whether a big part of the anxiety aspect um that's coming up in her asd testing is actually just medical trauma and blows the lines
2: a lot doesn't
1: it yeah it does even her ability (laughs) to communicate because you know she was so severely immune suppressed for such a long time we had to destroy her immune system in order to stop it from attacking her healthy brain Mm -hmm. cells Um, and you know she just thought that the only people that she could communicate with were her brothers or her doctors or her nurses and you know so then you look at her you try and put her into a situation where she has to communicate with her peers and You know, is it that she doesn't have those communication skills or has she just never been offered the opportunity? So, you know, I don't think we can ever downplay that impact of that medical trauma on our little people but also on us as parents and the way that, you know, you go in, particularly having NICU as your first experience of parenting and, you know, the importance of recognising PTSD on parents that have been through the NICU experience. Um, particularly if they have experienced fertility treatment because you've got these so longed for babies you don't feel like you can give that trauma a voice when they finally come along
2: yeah and it's ongoing like if you've you know if you've been trying for a baby for five years and then they're Mm. in the NICU for some babies are in the NICU for months like up to six months and it's just like bang 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 and when do you ever get a time to process any of that yeah Um, that's why you know I think parents generally do quite well in the NICU because like you said there's it's shock it's adrenaline you just have to you're in survival mode you just have to get through every single day but then you come home all the supports are gone you've got this baby that you so desperately love but you are sad and you don't know yeah. why and you you don't want to feel guilty about feeling that way um and then that's when it really hits and i think that's that's one of my biggest um mm. you know passions is raising awareness of you know the effects of premature birth and you know birth trauma like long term it's not just you know the first year even it can be like you said we talked about triggers like you can have triggers down i just go into the hospital now and i like see the lift to the NICU and like my heart races and I want to run the other way but um, absolutely
1: yeah so um you know. when you were talking about pumping before I still yeah. had that little <laughs> rrr, rrr, yeah rrr. that noise <laughs> somewhere deep in the back of my memory <laughs> yeah it comes straight yeah.
2: back out again <laughs> I know isn't it funny mm. the little things and like that even You know that really high, high pitched red alarm bell in the NICU when something's like really off, and
1: the monitor goes ding, ding,
2: ding, ding, ding. And like I'm, you know, I'm a nurse. I hear that so frequently. But there are times when I go like I have to pause and just like remind myself Mm. it's okay.
1: Yeah, you're not in that role at the moment. um. Yeah. One of our tough ones was spending um, when Marley had her first day left to Sydney. We then had six weeks um, on the neuro ward at the Sydney Children's Hospital in Randwick, you know, plenty of nights, she would have met calls when she was having seizures. And it was that, you know, you form such an instant bond with those people on that board, because so many people are going through such a similar thing that no one else can really understand. And the same thing, you hear the met call bell go off, and you would just hold your breath for a minute to see whose room everyone was rushing to and, you know, which child was in danger that night. And yeah. scary isn't it's it it's so hard to explain that to people outside that hospital bubble a, yeah. it's a world you just can't understand until you've lived it it's just yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely and that's why this so, little community is so important yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um so when you are being an amazing carer and mummy to your two beautiful boys and um your lovely husband Scott it's Scott isn't it, yes, is that it right? is. yep. yeah yep. <laughs> um you mentioned before that you're also a nurse and can I just say thank you on behalf of every single person that's listening to this podcast because nurses are absolute bloody superheroes and I love them with my whole heart and soul you guys are just (laughs) simply amazing um you also run your business Miracle Mama um what is the business and where can we find you
2: yep so Miracle Mama was created after James was born early so in my mat leave Mm I um yeah I spent the whole of my mat leave building this little it was event initially meant to be a business but it's just turned into a huge support group for lots of premature babies and NICU families so um I sell my my store I sell sort of premature baby milestone cards clothing books um very specific to the NICU journey and Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's doing like it's so popular is because there's nothing really like it um Mm -hmm and I don't, I haven't branched out to be, you know, just babies. So it's very specific to NICU and premature babies and it's just an online store. So um, you can find me, you can just Google miracle mama and it's spelled Mm -hmm. M U W M A mama. Yep. Um, So www.miraclemama.com. (laughs) Or .au. .au. <laughs> and
1: we'll pop a link to those um to that in our show notes as well so people can yeah. work out where to find you
2: and like I said it is a big
1: support group too so it's not just my store so if you
2: ever need someone to talk to I'm here my inbox is open I have a support group on Facebook too so that's my my main passion is just helping other people through this journey and giving back um
1: yeah amazing thank you so much for what you do um can you tell me your favorite things about your boys and what you guys are like as a family and you know such a big focus of this podcast is you know the trauma and saying thank you to blood donors um but it's so much about everything that goes on to happen with a recipient's life after they receive that blood product um so just Tell me about your family and the things that you love and the special things about your boys. I would love to. So this, whenever people say stuff, I get all teary because, yeah,
2: absolutely. you know. Yeah, absolutely. i teary asking the question. <laughs> because like my mind instantly goes to all those happy moments. And like you said, like so much of our life is, um medical and yeah you know routine based and so when you ask that question my mind just instantly saw my boys dancing so that we do a yeah. lot of dancing <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. and they're they're the best of friends like they literally are attached at the hip whatever James mm-hmm. does Jack follows
1: um yeah.
2: So they love to put Dance Monkey on in the living room and they just dance, dance, dance. <laughs> James, Jack actually asked me to play that song in the car on the way to school this morning. He's going, Dance that's Monkey, Mum. Awesome. Um, so that's something we love doing. We love um, going on holidays. We have a camper yep. van called Harvey. Awesome. Um, it's like a little pop-top thing. Um, so we're actually going away this weekend and yeah, wow. James is just over the moon. Can't stop talking about that. Um what else do we do? They love playing outside. They're just big outside, outdoorsy boys. So play with water, if even if it's freezing and yeah. jumping on the trampoline. They're very busy playing in the sandpit kitchen. If they can be outside, they will be. That's their favourite yeah. thing to do. And they're big car obsessed kids. Like I can't even explain. They, um, both of them, <laughs> yeah. they're, I'm raising the same child, seriously. They're exactly <laughs> the same child. They take two cars to bed. They take two cars to the shower. They go yeah. everywhere with them. Mm. um but my favorite I think my favorite thing about them is just how like you know busy and energetic and fun they are like they're just a mm. ball of laughter like there's
1: never a dull moment I love it yeah, yeah. we've talked so many times about how differently our family interacts and looks you know particularly with extended lockdowns and those types of things to some of the other families that we see and you know it's a bit of a chicken or an egg thing is this because our children have all seen each other and particularly Mali experience so much of that trauma that they just appreciate you know, each yeah. other and spending time together. You know, I mean, they still fight like siblings and whatever. And you know, that's how we all learn to put up with other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a bit of chaos around here. Um, but they're so protective of each other. And, you know, is that because of the experiences they've had or has that really shaped the way that we have parented them and that we sort of don't sweat the small stuff as much yeah. as we might have done before because we know what real stress and trauma is. Um, yeah. I remember one of my biggest emotional breakdown moments was Marley and I lived backwards and forwards in Sydney for about eight months so we sort of did six week blocks and then went back for a few weeks and we were backwards and forwards and you know it was just a summer afternoon and we were back in Canberra for the weekend and the kids put the sprinkler on in the backyard and just running around our backyard in underwear under a sprinkler. Yeah. And it was just such a simple childhood pleasure. Molly was actually mobile that day, so she was up and moving around and the kids were just giggling in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've ever sobbed harder about everything yeah. that happened
2: yeah.
1: than I did in that moment. So I totally understand those simple pleasures that other people might take for granted and we just get to sit back and soak them in. And yeah. in some ways that's such a gift to your parenting journey, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I, I do like to think the same, that this is, you know, James is like he is with Jack because of what we've been through like he's just yeah I can't even explain it yeah Yeah. they've got a very very special bond and you know I don't I don't know I can't compare to others but I Mm. I I can't I kind of look at them and I'm like actually this can't be normal like yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) how how
1: good they they are (laughs) with each other and yeah yeah,
2: that yeah it's intense
1: Mm. So to finish us off on a lighter note, um, we both attended an amazing online event last week and it was so fun, lovely to finally meet you, even though it was online via Zoom. That's the way we all seem to do things these days anyway. Um, the event we attended was run by an organisation called the Carers Circle, uh, by the Carers Club, sorry, and it provides support, debriefing and peer support to carers through facilitated sessions. How amazing was Emma Madsen as our facilitator the other night? She just did such a beautiful job. <laughs> um, so great, you can also yeah. find them. We'll pop the um, details to the Carers Club in our show notes as well. Um, yeah. I was so grateful when I logged on and I saw that you were also sipping a big glass of red wine like me because I had <laughs> had one of those days. I'd sort of put the glass oh. of red wine to the side off camera and then I saw you had one too. So I was like, yeah, okay. If I drink yeah, my try it." <laughs> <laughs> Um, How is that experience of the online carers circle for you, especially given the amount of um, peer support that you have done supporting other carers?
2: Yeah, it's good. It was a big reminder that I wasn't looking after myself. Yeah, um, absolutely. uh, And I kind of do need to be pushed into this stuff. So I, unless, you know, someone tells me to go and do something for myself I kind of don't so Scott's very good at that my husband um yeah but no this was really good um, was it you that sent me the link to it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> yeah. um so like for someone to just come like you to come into my inbox and tell me to do this and yeah. I was like actually yeah this is a perfect time Jack had just sort of it was only on infusion two of his gig and it was on a Monday and I was like right that'll be amazing after the trauma yeah. of the hospital all day um so, yeah, and then even when it was coming up to that time, I was like, oh, you know, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. And I was like, no, Amy, yeah, <laughs> sit down, absolutely. pour yourself yeah. a glass of wine and enjoy yeah. this time. So I did, um, and it was amazing. Like I said, I, I kind of, when I was on there, I was almost falling asleep because it was so relaxing. And I don't yeah. think I've ever, you know, well, not recently, I haven't just sat down and allowed myself to debrief and to just, Yeah. Unwind. And there was a meditation session, which I was just like, oh, Zen, um, nice. which I just haven't done. I know. And I just haven't done that. And it was just a big reminder that I need to do it more. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks. Oh, you're so welcome. And I
1: think one of the things that I've struggled with as well is acknowledging that identity as a carer because to celebrate your role as a carer in some way, you also need to embrace your child's, you know, illness, injury, disability, and celebrate that in some way too, rather than sort of trying to push that away. Um, So to just really embrace that identity, I think is hard sometimes. And I think so many of the things that we do, we say, well, I'm just doing that because I'm my child's mother, you know, no, I wouldn't want anyone else to do that for my child, but that you know we need to create space for ourselves as carers and to really have that self-care and yeah, yeah absolutely
2: because you don't until again until you, you're doing it and you're in the thick of it you don't understand the impact that that has on on you mm-hmm. and your life and just the daily like you know I can't I literally can't have anyone else look after Jack because he's fed. like I can't yeah. just drop him at someone's house and yeah, yeah. have an hour to myself it's either me or my husband thankfully my mum who has now learnt um, to tube feed him but um amazing yeah she's amazing I'm so lucky yeah. to have her but um you know you don't you don't get an escape so um
1: yeah mm. it's so yeah. important to- we're very similar with Marley because of her seizure risk. We can't just leave her with people. You can't just leave her with a babysitter. You know, it's such a massive duty of care to expect somebody else to be able to manage her seizures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because she has got a service dog as well, you need somebody that's trained to be able to, you know, go out in the community with a service dog and all of those types of things. So, you know, one of the things that people find hard to understand is that Jeff and I can't attend things together you know, it's one or it's the other because the other person has to be at home in that role with our children. So yeah, yeah creating these little spaces wherever we can to acknowledge our role as carers, I think is so important. Absolutely. Um, and finally, to quote you in one of your previous blog posts, and this is the last question, mm-hmm. um, you have said you don't have to be rich to be generous. What would you like to say to previous and current blood donors or anyone who is considering a donation in the future?
2: oh just just do it (laughs) like so I'm gonna give a quick story I know it's the last one yeah please um so we obviously never been affected by anything prior to having children um never even thought about blood donation not once Mm -hmm. had I thought about it until our kids were obviously affected and needed blood products and I needed blood products um and then as soon as this happened my husband Scott was like right well why have I never donated blood? I'm donating blood now. So he goes off yep. and he donates blood. And especially around Christmas, Christmas time, mm-hmm. they struggle so much to get people to donate. Um, they're always short on blood over Christmas because people go away. Um, well, not probably not so much at the moment, but um <laughs> people get busy, you know, there's yeah, other stuff going on. So if mm-hmm. you can, especially in the next couple of months leading up to Christmas, especially in December, they really need people to donate blood. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, you know, you might not you might not ever think that it'll be you that needs it but mm. listen to our story look at these tiny yeah. little babies and premature babies frequently require blood transfusions they can't produce their own um, hemoglobin so like and it can make them really sick so I think mm. listening to this podcast is the first step to like realizing that these are real people who yeah you're literally saving a life so I just say go and do it it's not um it's not hard. It doesn't take no. long. I think I think just taking that first step is also the big like people are, like, oh, I've got to try and fit that in it into Yeah. Um, and it is always the first appointments that a little bit longer, but once you've done that, um, yeah and you, you'll feel so good every time you walk out yeah. it's like when you exercise you don't really want to go and do it it's like it's a bit of a hassle <laughs> <laughs> but then once you've done it's like the feeling you get that like yeah,
1: yeah. at and least with blood donation you get good snacks afterwards exercise that's that's right. good and you don't have to run <laughs> you just sit there <laughs> <laughs> um I've organized um, a few catch-ups with girlfriends particularly when we were in the COVID lockdown situation because blood donation is still an essential activity and yeah. we would book in a blood do- plasma donation at the same time so we had an hour and a half to sit next to each other in comfy chairs yes, and not be interrupted great by our idea. children do it with a friend else. <laughs> make it a social event and it's
2: like yeah and you don't like you, you can the housework's not calling you the kids no. aren't calling you no, no. it's um there's nothing and else. like like I said you know you don't have to like that's one thing that you can do that doesn't cost you any money or no. um and it's 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 honestly like making a huge donation of money like you don't understand like it's, you know mm. you, you might be like oh i wish i could give a charity like two thousand dollars we'll just go on mm. donate blood it's the same you're doing exactly yeah. the same thing the products that i received during my pregnancy cost i think one hundred and eighty thousand yeah. dollars. so this is like that's how valuable mm. this, your blood is like it's yeah, yeah. it's
1: absolutely
2: yeah. until and, and until you need it you just don't understand but you know, it doesn't mean that you can't make that impact like it's, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you.
0: (laughs) What a remarkable interview that was. Having experienced IVF and then high risk pregnancies, particularly after losing Campbell's twin brother Benjamin during pregnancy, Having birthed Thomas prematurely and having spent so much time with Marley in PICU, so much of what Amy just said reminded me of what incredible warriors additional needs parents are and the remarkable bravery that it takes to continue to create the family that you have envisaged when you face such monumental challenges along the way. When family planning, we never consider that we may be reliant on Australian blood donors to keep our children with us and I can't imagine that many families do but how lucky are we to have Australian blood donors that make sure that it's not something that we ever have to worry about. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Miracle Mama, Amy Perling. Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff Fisher, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team tally. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to our beautiful girl, Marley.
1: Thank you for my plasma.